Startup for Startup. Sharing knowledge, experience and insights from one startup to another. Hi everyone, I'm Danny Lester. Thanks for joining. Those of you who listened to previous episodes might remember that when I'm not moonlighting as the narrator of this show, I'm also part of the customer success group at monday.com. For almost two years, I answered 8,353 questions and requests that customers had. It got a little repetitive as time went on, and at some point, it just stopped being a challenge. I felt completely comfortable with anything being thrown at me, even the most frustrated customers or complicated workflows. And at that point, I knew. I was ready for a change. But what kind of change? I didn't want to throw away all the experience and skills I'd gained in the last two years, but I knew I needed to continue to be pushed out of my comfort zone if I wanted to have a long-lasting career at Monday. But what that role looked like, I really had no idea. To try and make the path a little clearer, I tried my hand out in a few different areas of the department. After a few failed tries, I found one that stuck, and it was in a completely different direction. Social media. I know what you're thinking. Ah, another young lady who wants to make a living out of being on Instagram all day long. First of all, you're kind of right. But besides that, you're probably also wondering why would anyone let me make that change? After all, I didn't have experience managing social media for such a large company, and I was pretty good at my role at the time. Well, not pretty good. Actually, I was really good. And yet, here I am, proudly announcing that very recently, I officially made that change. I'm now Monday's first community manager for the EMEA region. And although this path of mine might feel awkward, weird, random, unexpected, you name it. It's part of a phenomenon that is becoming increasingly popular in the world of tech. This phenomenon is called job crafting. When first embarking on my own job crafting journey, I had to wonder, why was my manager encouraging me? I mean, the company could have easily said, We need you to stay where you're strongest, in your current role. I also found myself thinking about my side in this story. What could I do in order to push myself towards this career shift I knew I wanted to make? How could I convince leadership to believe that helping me with this process would actually benefit them too? Job crafting is about creating a new role that combines an employee's skills with the company needs whilst also providing that job fulfillment that I was looking for. When you sum it all up, you're left with one hell of a formula. One person who found out how to balance all of these variables and more is Aaron Fauscher, Director of Sales at Monday.com. He went through this process long before I did, although his journey in the sales world wasn't exactly a walk in the park. Before moving to Monday, he worked in sales, but eventually decided to quit. Initially, I kind of got into a few organizations where I would say it was more that kind of negative sales culture. So it was a lot around 
not competition because I love competition and we still do that here, but not willing to help each other, not willing to, you know, to give tips or advice or share templates or hop on a call with someone. Um, and I really didn't like that mentality. I didn't really like that aggressive type of vibe. So I ended up actually thinking, hey, let me try something new. Let me try to see if customer success could be more interesting for me. So I actually was very aware when we started that I was going into more of a customer success role. And I was also happy with it. Aaron's experience in sales matched the Monday founder's vision. They didn't want a sales department. In that sense, Aaron couldn't have found a more anti-sales environment than at the company he had just joined. Although his title was Sales Ninja, a terrible title for a job if you ask me, that didn't really explain his role at all. His job was really about customer success. It wasn't sales at all. It was really more helping the customer buy in regards from where do you put your credit card. Like it was really ticket support mainly, uh, hopping on demos, demonstrations, like anything related to customer success. Aaron's done with sales. Hallelujah. But there was one tiny problem. He was starting to miss it. Missing a profession you just quit a few months ago is frustrating. Missing a profession that doesn't exist in a company you've just joined? Damn. Now that's even more frustrating. Monday.com's founders, Roy and Aran, were confident they could succeed without a sales team because they had created a product that was super friendly for users to self-onboard. The results seemed like they were proving this theory. At the time, as a small startup, Monday.com had 10,000 teams that used the platform. They thought as the wolf of Wall Street, it's going to be unethical sales. We're going to have a few of the companies that, you know, guide what the product is going to look like. It's going to be a terrible experience for everything else. And that's really where I started pitching consultative sales, value-based selling, however you want to call it. But really kind of explaining to them, guys, this doesn't need to be that wolf of Wall Street type of sale. It can be a much more consultative sale where we really help our customers. On top of his customer success role, Aaron started shaping the idea of establishing a sales department. He decided to offer his idea up to the founders. He expected the founders to be like, Okay, thanks, Aaron. Really appreciate your input. Like, we'll think about it and we would never speak again. Um, that's not what happened. They actually immediately agreed, you know what? Take 50% of your time, continue to do customer success. The other 50% of your time, prove it to us. Start selling. But why did they let him do it? I mean, congrats and everything to Aaron. But really, why? He didn't have experience in leading a sales team, let alone starting a sales department from scratch. Why didn't they do what Aaron expected them to do? I asked him about this frankly. If you were in their shoes, would you let you go for it? Probably not, to be fair. At that point, that's why I said And yet, they did. Looking back at it now, he understands the logic behind their decision. Like, they didn't take a big risk because they didn't tell me, yeah, Aaron, go crazy, start hiring people, right? They, they first said, okay, do it three months. In those three months, I bought more revenue and then the whole success team combined. So then we started closing the biggest customer that the company ever closed. So it wasn't like they took a really big risk, um, but they gave me the chance to prove it. And I think that's the big part, like being open to be proven wrong. Being open to not really believe in something, but still give somebody the chance to, to prove you wrong is so powerful. And that really shaped me also in what I am today.
So let's recap for a second. Aaron joined Monday's CS team, and although he was very successful at his job, he felt like he was missing doing sales. Three months later, he'd managed to craft a new job for himself and closed quite a few deals. After he was able to prove his point to the founders, he got the green light to expand. And so, he built a team. One of his new team members was Leah Bauman. They were building the sales team. They didn't really have a sales strategy or documentation or onboarding materials or anything like that. And it was a very rough start um, to figure out what was going on and how to do the job. But they did it. The team started running and it worked fairly well. After less than a year, Leah was given a new mission. To call customers whose trial had expired and resurrect them. As one of the best salespeople in the company, Leah was the right person for the job. She'd been told, Don't worry about your targets. We know you're probably not going to have any success. Like, just, if you're on zero, it's totally fine. Don't worry about it at all. So the idea that I'm going to bring in zero for the next two months is like, I don't know how I feel about that. But I did it anyway. And it was super, super boring. So Leah decided to make it interesting. And so I said, you know what? Why don't I look at all of the other accounts I've closed and see maybe there's like some upgrade potential. Maybe I can like, you know, get a conversation going there. So while I had no success in the expired trials, I had all of this time to focus on like give touch points to existing accounts. And it blossomed into what we know today as account management. These talks were eye-opening for Leah. This is when she started thinking about what would later become her job craft. Once you start going into existing accounts, they are much better able to define for you what's blocking them from growing. You have a new account. They don't know anything about Monday. They can't really give you great information about what's stopping them from growing or coming on board. Um, It's much harder to get at that information, I think, with new business. But with expansions, they could tell you sort of exactly, if you do this, then we're going to have something for you. And at that point, I really started to speak to product. And I understood that there's this widening disconnect between product and sales. Sales is like really knowing what is stopping people from closing deals and The product teams are really interested in no touch and they're interested in like completely different things than the sales team would want. It created a lot of frustration. However, Leah understood why the sales team didn't have a strong case when they approached the product team. The sales team is not consolidating their power by aggregating data. In Monday, the only way to get things done is with data. And sales teams are not really great with this concept in general. They, it doesn't matter what company you're in. The sales team doesn't like tagging things. And they move through opportunities very, very quickly. And stopping to say, let me record that somewhere and just mark it down is not come to them by nature. And what that leads to is a big gap in being able to prove why we need what we say we need. That's how her idea started. She'd be the bridge between the sales and the product. She didn't even see it as job crafting, actually. 
my accounts will even grow because of it. So I'm going to invest in something that's going to make me a better salesperson. Amazing. Easy. I didn't think it was a job role at that point. I just thought it was like, this is how we have to influence the decisions that are being made around here. After participating in two or three task forces, I understood there's for sure a job role here. Every organization experiences friction between sales and product. And we have the same goals. We want the same things. And we have to work together. If working together means sales gets what they want sometimes, but also that sales understands why they don't get what they want all the time. But although Leah felt like she should focus solely on this role, she didn't get the permission to do so. She was closing so many deals for the sales team that they understandably didn't want to lose their star saleswoman to another role. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This message is for Norwegian passengers traveling on... In the meantime, Aaron received his next mission to build another sales team, this time in the States and not at Monday's headquarters. This is where he met David Soigling, also known as Dave, sales enablement manager. That wasn't his original role, though. I was uh, the first sales rep in our New York office. Um, so it, it's been an interesting journey, to say the least. Um, but yes, I was started in sales and um, kind of worked my way through that. When Dave says interesting journey, he refers to the fact that he also went through job crafting after Aaron recruited him as a sales rep. He was about a year into the job when he started to feel that he wanted something else although he was great at his current role. I mentioned fulfillment earlier. This is a great example of that. He saw an opportunity for making a change, both to his career and the company. When I joined, there was no training, there was no onboarding. It was very much like, um, read this information and good luck. Um, so we learned kind of, uh, as you say, like by the seat of our pants, and it's, it was interesting for me to see this gap. So there was no training, there was no continued education, uh, and there was a large opportunity for this because myself and all of the other sales reps were always very hungry for more knowledge, looking to learn and improve the way in which we were selling. So I saw an opportunity. Aaron didn't rush to transition Dave fully, just like Roy and Aran, the founders, didn't rush to change his role when he wanted to leave customer success. First, Aaron wanted to just try and not to promise anything to Dave about the final result. So we had a lot of conversations about how much time I could devote to X or Y. And so over time, we eventually built a plan where as long as I was hitting my quota and bringing in the sales necessary, I was also able to help and facilitate trainings. The problem was that the quota, the number of deals Dave was expected to bring in, didn't change. Although he had less time to close the deals because he had another thing to focus on, Aaron still expected him to hit the same old goals. When you think about it, this might seem a little unfair, but try to put yourself in Aaron's shoes. He has a top performer that now wants to do something completely different. This change Dave wanted to make could potentially hurt the whole team's KPIs. Aaron's KPIs. He just couldn't afford in such an early stage of the job crafting to decrease Dave's quota. This is one of the biggest conflicts when dealing with job crafting. Job crafting is not a solution for employees who don't perform well. The fact that job crafters are necessarily top performers 
makes the process more sensitive. It's hard to lose one of your top performers to a role that's not quota carrying. Um, and that's also why in the beginning, we couldn't just immediately make that move. It took seven months, seven months with two roles. It took Dave a couple of months to just learn how to juggle between the two. I was able to schedule calls with clients in between my trainings so that I didn't have to have anything that overlapped. Um, I would organize the way that I would run the trainings in the beginning of the week to make sure that I had everything mapped out so that when the week came, I wouldn't uh, run into like scheduling conflicts. Um, so it was a little bit of a juggling, but I think after a couple of months doing it, you get accustomed to it and you know how to properly prepare uh, so that you don't have to run into any uh, issues. The decision to finally let Dave complete his job crafting and start a new role became easier when he was able to show that his actions were creating an impact. From a percentage perspective, I think we bumped up the time to first ramp by at least a month. So people were hitting quota much earlier and bringing in their first deals much earlier. Um, and eventually the average deal size as well decided to, or decided uh, in uh, direct correlation was able to increase as well. Can you really prove that your actions are those that made the impact? Mm, I'm not sure. Sales is usually pretty straightforward, right? When you're an individual contributor, you want to have good numbers. When you're a manager, you want your team to have good numbers. When you're a director, you want the different teams to have good numbers. But a big part of your performance is based on the numbers that you do. That's much more difficult with enablement because it's a very hard direct connection to say, oh, because of this training session, somebody sold 10% better, right? That's almost impossible to get there. Things that you can track is how happy are people with the trainings? How good do they come out of the session? How how much easier is it for the managers when a new rep comes in after the onboarding to immediately start selling? And that's where we saw a lot of differences. The, the place where our onboarding and training is today compared to when I handed it over to Dave is a completely different aspect. All credit to him to where the organization is. This struggle to measure the impact of these changes forced Aaron and Dave to rely on the comments they got from managers and new arrivals who used the enablement programs David created. Leah Bauman, who wanted to craft her job towards bridging the product and the sales teams, faced the same challenge. I kept working with the product and R&D teams. And then what I did was starting to build processes for communication between sales and product and figured that would be the right way to be able to show the impact for the wider team. Because if I can show that we got X features that we needed through this process, and if you know we got X deals closed through this process, then I can show that I'm more valuable in between the two teams than data. The difficulty to prove that a certain action in a certain role created a certain impact is part of a problem many managers face when approaching a job craft that one of their employees wants to do. As a manager, you have a responsibility to make sure your employee doesn't invent a role that the company doesn't need. I have scenarios where somebody wanted to get you know, into a very specific uh, aspect of marketing, right? I now want to go into like PPU, like, great, start studying it. <laughs> That's not something that I can really help with. Aaron faced this dilemma not only with Dave, but also with Adam Felding. 
Adam started at Monday as a BDR and an SDR, business development representative and sales development representative. This is the role that meets the client at the very beginning of the funnel. And what's surprising about Adam's case is that although he ended up moving to a completely different job than a BDR, he didn't consider himself as a job crafter. It's funny, I didn't really consider that that's what I did until you invited me to this, um, to this uh, session. However, right from the beginning of his time at the company, Adam made it clear that he didn't want to follow the standard path that started from BDR to account executive, senior account executive, account manager, and so on. He wanted something else. He made sure to be upfront about this while still showing his enthusiasm for the role on the table. Never join a company in a role and tell your manager you don't want to do that role. Okay, that's a stupid, stupid move. And if it's true, rethink your career priorities. Because I made it perfectly clear when I joined Monday.com, I did want to be a BDR. I did want to help them out. I did want to do that. But I also made clear is that my next step is not going to be an account executive. Adam wanted to train people. He'd done it before, mostly when he worked at Apple Retail, where he'd opened multiple stores and trained many salespeople. Now he wanted to get back into it from a slightly different angle. He wanted to create and design content for the sales reps. Based on that, I was able to put him in charge of what we call our battle cards. A battle card is a great term for a beautiful, clear document in which you can easily compare the pros and cons of your competitors. And what he started doing is calling with customers, uh, understanding what is the differences between platforms, but also we did uh, a lot of like um, return on investment that we got from customers. And that allowed me to see A, that he works really well with customers, B, that he designed really nice products, uh, C, that he was bringing a lot of value to the team by doing that. The first step of making that gap was just creating a PDF document, a one-stop quick shot of reasons why uh, our competition, whether it's Asana, whether it's Rack, whether it's ClickUp, uh, reasons why customers like them, and reasons why we have the upper hand in certain things. We even added like probing questions to our battle cards, like, hey, ask them these kinds of questions so we can get to our points. And the whole idea was to get them equipped as a snapshot of what's a great way to go against these competitors. However, a few months later, we learned that that wasn't enough either, so we gave them even more competitive content on top of that. Whilst working as a BDR, Adam found himself also working on the battle cards and general competitive intelligence. And yet, a job that is just based on competitive intelligence wasn't enough. Aaron knew that, and Adam knew it as well. This is exactly the point we mentioned earlier. Don't try inventing a role that the business doesn't really need as a full-time role. The battle cards wasn't job crafting at all. The battle cards was just finding something that we can work on to see if the direction that we want to go to is the right fit. Um, so on its own, does it bring value? 100%. But at the time, did I see that as his new job? No, absolutely not. And then you start thinking about, okay, what from these things that he wants to do can I connect to make sense in what he does in his today job now? What is one of the first things that as a BDR, especially if you're focusing on outbound and new customers, need to know? The differences between our platform and other platforms. The good use cases that people are using it for. So everything that he was doing was very relevant for his job today and only makes him better as a BDR, right? So anyway, what we were focusing on was something that was relevant for him. 
Leah's case was similar in that sense. Her effort to bridge the gap between the product and sales departments helped her get more deals. She worked on aggregating data from the sales reps and the management in order to understand what features the sales team needed. And it's like a combination of all of the different things that I was able to say, it's time, we have to make this a role. And I'm like, look at the amount of deals I've enabled. Look at this. I brought in more through the deal commitment process than I do as a salesperson. You don't even need me. This is where you need me. Back to Adam. After focusing on battle cards and competitive intelligence, Aaron decided to find out if Adam's job crafting could be completed. He approached Dave. So the first thing was really sitting with that person and being like, these are the skills, this is what he can do, this is what I know that he's good at. Is that somebody that you would need in your team today or do you see that need coming up in the near future? Adam didn't know if Dave needed him, but he was still working on his new role besides his official primary job, just like Leah did. You know, I, I believe it, it's it's cheesy, but it's something I tell to everybody. It's something I tell to myself. I believe luck equals preparation plus timing. So you can only control one of those. You can't control the timing, right? So control the preparation. Just keep training, keep learning. And when the time comes for, oh my gosh, we need this. And you're like, well, I happen to know uh, how to do that. And then there you go. It worked. They opened a role for external and internal, um, and they encouraged me to apply for it. Um, and I believe the reason why they encouraged me to apply for it is because I think they saw what I was doing to prepare for a role like this before. From an enablement side of things, I knew that there were specific pieces of content that we'd need built. So uh, battle cards, for instance, this was one gap that was identified. Um, things like personas, right? When we're reaching out to clients, what are those types of personas and how can we build this information in a way that is digestible and visually appealing to sales reps so that they don't feel overwhelmed. Um, and I think that's really where I saw Adam be able to succeed or thought of Adam in this role. Um, so when I approached him and said, these are the areas that you know we could use help in, I think that you would be a good fit. He was very excited and, and Aaron as well uh, was able to help facilitate, his manager was able to facilitate the, the move. When Dave entered the picture, Adam's role got more layers. He created a bunch of content for the sales team and made sure they could easily find it in the database, on top of his work on competitive intelligence. We wanted people to find our content within a minute. I need this, they can find it. We also want people who don't know what they need to find their content within five minutes. That's how we look at it. So if you know what you want, you should be able to get it within a minute. If you don't know what you want, you should be able to get it within five. So my whole thing was not only just making sure we have the right content, but also making sure it's organized in a great way. And when competitive analysis became its own living, breathing thing, I almost have dual roles now. Aaron is happy and his job crafting made a huge impact on the company. The same applies to Leah. Dave and Adam are happy as well, and every sales rep in the company would tell you how helpful their job is. But let's say, hypothetically, and I don't think this is the case, but let's just say that Adam's role could have been done just as well by an external person that Dave hired. What would happen then? 
Well, Adam probably would have kept his BDR job, his frustration would have grown, and there's a good chance he would have ended up quitting sooner or later. The same applies to me and Aaron. I don't think it would have led me to leave in the short term. In the long term, it probably would if I didn't feel like I can make enough of an impact because that's my key thing anywhere I've been. It's always around like, how can I make a big impact? How can I continue to learn, continue to grow? Um, and that wouldn't have been possible if I just stayed in the same position. That's an important thing Aaron's admitting here. You see, the starting point of job crafting was the same for all of our four interviewees. They were the top performers in their original roles. These employees are the type that you most want to retain. They don't come around often. This is why job crafting is not just an opportunity for an employee to grow and shift their career. It's also an opportunity for the company to retain great employees who can continue to be great in another role. Without this, they might eventually leave, unless they get the opportunity to shape their career. You have to come with like a clear way to show what's the value that you provide, what's the added value that you provide, why you're going to provide more added value in a new role than you do in your current role. Because I'm guessing that if you're building new processes and you're trying to go for it, you're smashing it at your current role, right? Because mostly you, you can't start something new. You can't start building something new if you're doing badly at your job right? You have to be really, really good and then build something on top of that. And then you're going to have to show why you bring more added value from the new thing than you did from the old thing, which you're quite good at, right? So it's also understanding that if there's pushback from your managers, those are objections that you have to get past. You can't say he doesn't understand or he doesn't see the hard work I'm doing. You have to really be willing to hear their objections and understand why they're objecting, or you're never going to be able to get around it. You're going to get stuck at that objection. There's no doubt that job crafting needs to benefit the company, but it's important to remember that often it's not a win-all-lose-all kind of situation. If a team member thinks of an idea that might help the company, usually you don't have much to lose if you simply tell them, dedicate X amount of your time for this, just so you and your team member can see how it goes. And although our examples in this episode are from client-facing roles, it's really not exclusively for us. If you avoid promising the success of the job crafting process, make sure there's an actual need for the new role and create a slow transition from the original role, you'll be able to allow your top performers to craft their job and your company will be able to retain its best people while having them in roles where they can really create an impact. Dave experienced it firsthand, first as an employee that crafted his job, and later on as a manager that took part in Adam's job crafting. I think the experience helped in terms of being able to say, this is possible, right? We are doing something that feels new, but yet still feels like it's been done before in, in its own way. So it's a new role, and there's with that come challenges and worries and doubts and but we've also had a proven track record of success in, in creating new roles. And so being able to have that experience and say, hey, even though sometimes there are unknowns, even though there are things that you know may change tomorrow, uh, we know that overall this can be and will be successful based on 
it happening before. And so being able to instill that confidence as well is is another thing, right? And so being able to instill that confidence in that employee helps them be overall more successful. There's no magic. It's really do a deep think in what you really, really want to do. But be prepared that that thing you want to do can fit into somebody else's plan. Are you a writer? Are you a great writer? Do you want to write a novel? Do you have novel ideas that you want to write? That's fantastic. What are the odds of you making a career out of that? Maybe a little smaller. Do you also enjoy tech? Ooh, that's something. Do you want to copyright for tech? Do you want to write ebooks for tech? Do you want to write sales scripts for tech? Be open to seeing things that you love in parts of jobs. Be open to it because I didn't grow up wanting to be a salesman. I didn't go to college wanting to be a salesman. I became a salesman because I loved it. But then I started following the things I loved the most about it, and I, didn't, and I followed it within that organization. A lot of people think, I want to be a writer. I'm going to quit and be a writer. Why? You can write in your job right now and get some practice and get paid for it. You know? So that, that's one thing I would tell people who are wanting to craft their job. See the things you love in the jobs you already have. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to be updated when we release more episodes, hit the follow button. I don't want to rush you, but do it now because later you'll forget. I know you. You're also more than welcome to our LinkedIn group, Startup for Startup, where you'll be able to find more content and potential networking. Another place that deserves your attention is our website, startupforstartup.com. This is where we gather all the content we create just for you podcast episodes, videos, articles, and more. I want to thank Guy Bin Nun, our writer and senior producer. Our crew also has the wonderful Advashus Gal and Daria Wertheim, who are our content editors. Leo Krengel leads the initiative. Yoav Ayalon is our opera singer. And Gal Rodity is our mix engineer, alongside Hilly Boy Mel. I'm Danny Lester. More to come, so stay tuned. Thank you.